more time to take the than I did take. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Well, hey, despite normally clipping out things from the beginning, do you just want to get like right into our top episodes of season eight? Like it, it, in like like throw the intro at everybody, but then yeah. like that be the first thing we do. Good idea. All Welcome right. to No Hugging, No Learning. It's a show about one thing, watching Seinfeld for the first time. I'm Tim Murphy. And I'm Ted Hollowell. And today we will be talking about the butter shave, season nine. Episode one, the first episode of the last season. But before that, and before what's the deal, what are our top episodes of season eight? So, Ted, uh, you want to do yours first? Yeah, I guess. I-, I think I'll start off just by listing, as a refresher, all the episodes I gave a star to yeah. out, of ep- out of season eight. Out of 22 episodes, I had starred eight episodes. In nice. order of the season, there was... Uh, episode three, the Bizarro Jerry. Mm-hmm. Episode four, the Little Kicks. Episode eight, the Chicken Roaster. Episode nine, the Abstinence. Uh, episode ten, the Andrea Doria. Episode thirteen, the Comeback. Episode fifteen, the Susie. Episode sixteen, the Pothole. And episode twenty-one, the Muffin Tops. Okay, interesting. Do you have a favorite so, out of all those? I do. I was able to order it into a top five. So there were a few that were left out of the top five, out of the ones that I did enjoy. So I guess I will go uh, reverse order. It, it, it's weird how it goes in order of the season, but uh, number five is The Abstinence. Mm-hmm. Number four, The Andrea Doria. Number three, The Comeback. Number two, The Pothole. And number one, The Muffin Tops. Whoa! Yeah, I was I was surprised as well. I I thought Pothole was going to be number one, but looking back, I'm just like I I have to give number one to the Muffin Tops. I have to. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. <laughs> we do have a, a ton of crossover between all of the ones you mentioned. So my here are the all the ones that I starred. I start seven, so one okay. less, and I think they're kind of in order. I I don't know. It, it's tough for me to yeah. They're they're definitely in order by episode number, except. The last one. So I starred, and, and this is pretty much, um, all right, I'll, I'll go in order from, from back to front. Um, okay. The one, the honor, my honorable mention goes to the chicken roaster. I had starred that one and I wrote low nostalgia uh, on there. So that was uh, episode eight. And you also had the chicken roaster on your uh, first pass. Yeah. Um, I, I have to, I have a tie for fifth place. <laughs> okay. Uh, the Susie and the Pothole uh, are uh, interesting. Okay, and sixteen, and they're tied because I wrote next to the Pothole Star, just as good as the Susie. So I'm like, well, it's got to be a tie then. <laughs> That's how I'm going to sneak in more than five. It's got to be. Yeah, you're you're right. Okay. So and I put the and those are in the right order, I think, because obviously they were kind of low for the, me. I enjoyed them, but I'm like, if it's just as good as a Susie, that means it's. You know, yeah, and it, it would still be fresh in your memory too, because Pothole was episode sixteen, Susie was yes. episode fifteen. So here's one: the only one that you don't, that we don't share on my list is the Little Jerry. Mm, yeah, okay. Episode eleven. I, I started. I remember enjoying it. Uh, then the Andrea Doria, the Abstinence, and the Bizarro Jerry at I guess number one. <laughs> what one? What one was the Little Jerry? Uh, the uh, the uh, cockfight. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I remember I just, like, couldn't get into it. Yeah. <laughs> and I wish, you know, I, I wish I had time to go back and remember what I loved about all of these, but I don't. So I have no idea. <laughs> it's where Jerry, you know, gets so angry. He bounces a check and, um, you know, they put his yeah, picture yeah. up. His parents get involved. 
Yeah. Everyone thinks that like his comedy career is floundering. They want him to get into the Bloomingdale's executive training program. Yeah, so I, I have... <laughs> did, did all of that happen in a single episode? Wow. I'm sure they mentioned that. It's, it's also <laughs> the one where Kurt shaves his head and Elaine gets him to regrow it and he like gets advice on going bald from George. Damn. Oh, and George just, is dating the prisoner. And that wow. was, yeah, I remember that being very funny. It just goes to show, like, even though I didn't even star that one, yeah. season eight came out swinging. A- and, like, there were a lot of, like, base hits and even home runs to continue this uh, baseball metaphor <laughs> that I'm I'm really trying to stick to with my very limited baseball knowledge. Yeah. To, uh, yeah. But, like, whenever, whenever Larry David exited the game... Uh, the teammates, after Larry David retired, still continuing on with this metaphor, definitely kept up. I, I think they held their weight. Yeah, I think there were some slumps. I think I remember us talking, because I went from episode three, and then it, 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 there was six episodes before I starred another one. Okay, yeah. Um, well, what, I, I, five. Yeah. I, I starred eight out of 22, so that's a, a little under a 300, which is good. It, yeah. It's average. Using using uh, uh, batting average <laughs> yeah. metaphor. God, okay. Why am I so stuck on baseball? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah, and I had, I, yeah, I guess seven. And but I think I think the criteria for getting a star was higher in season eight for me. I know I kept just going. You know, that's a good baseline episode, but I need like some solid belly laughs. And I, I sure I was laughing through the whole thing, but. You know, it wasn't as hilarious as I, I wanted it to be. So, um, and it didn't have as many sneak up on me. You know, there's a lot of stuff in there, like the muffin tops or the little kicks that, like, a first time a first time viewer is definitely going to enjoy more than a seasoned vet who goes, "Oh yeah, yeah." yeah. I mean, the, it's hilarious when Elaine dances, but I've seen it before. You know, yeah. I just can't watch well, it without objective I, uh, of an eye. <laughs> I, I just did the math. Uh, my average was a 363, and your average is a 318. Okay, I swear that's it for the baseball <laughs> metaphor. That's it. All right, awesome. Well, good list on on all our uh, all our accounts. Oh yeah. boy! All right. Uh, do you want to get into uh, what's the deal? Sure. What's the deal with stuff from our last episode, the summer of George? First, we have an early appearance by Molly Shannon, and I wanted to know where she was in her career at this point. Whether we can count this as a cameo. And Molly Shannon is currently 56 in 2021, depending on when you're listening to this. Now, you can do the math if it's much later. Uh, she was born outside of Cleveland. She went to NYU, oh. studied drama, graduated from the Tisch School of the Arts in 1987. She auditioned for her first big film role and was cast. Get this. How's this for a little bit of serendipity? She played the supporting part of Meg in the 1989 horror film remake of The Phantom of the Opera. Whoa. <laughs> I know. Oh, my God. Have you God. seen the 89 Phantom? Uh, probably not. Who is in that one? Robert Englund. No. Yeah, I know. I'd never Does heard of Robert Englund play the Phantom? <laughs> yeah, I guess. Holy shit. Okay. <laughs> I know. How weird is that? Uh, I really have to look this up now. <laughs> yeah, so in 91, she had a brief appearance in the second episode, or I'm sorry, the second season of Twin Peaks as the Happy Helping Hand Lady. And in 93, she had small roles in three episodes of In Living Color. So she started making her uh, sketch comedy bones, as it were, hmm. uh, okay. as far back as 93, but still just kind of, you know, an, an extra. But her major break came in February of 95 when she was hired as a featured player on SNL. Here's another little crossover. She replaced Janine Garofalo, a.k.a. Jerry's fiance. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wow. After okay. Janine left midseason due to creative differences, and Shannon was one of the few 
cast members to be kept on when Lorne completely overhauled the cast and writers the very next season, uh, 95-96. So she joined at... You know, in the, in the second half of that ninety four ninety five season, and she was kept on, which I didn't know. I really put her in that same class as like of like Will Ferrell and Chris Kattan and Sherry O'Terry and everybody who joined that season. Like I remember them showing commercials, like it's an all new cast for Saturday Night Live. Who's going to be mm. in it? And um, but she she was there a couple months prior. Yeah, yeah. Which so, I had no so idea. So she wow she is she the one that uh, was in like the same cast as like. Will Ferrell and Chris Kattan and Sherry O'Terry and Chris Farley and Adam Sandler and David Spade. There was actually a few other holdovers. David okay, Spade, okay. David Spade was a holdover. So was Norm Macdonald, Mark McKinney, and Tim Meadows. Those are it, though. Yeah. Jesus. And they were so they were cast members, and she was only a featured player. So I'm guessing she moved from featured player to full on cast member that next season. But with those, so you know, she was the only <laughs> featured player to to be held over. But but yeah, those big four also. Were, were kept on. So I'm going to say, surprisingly, this leans cameo for me. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Especially with it being on the same network. Yeah. And already that cast had been established by 97. You know, like yeah, it was a 96. For sure. It was a 95, 96 season. So she'd had two big seasons with this huge new cast on SNL. And so, yeah, I'm going to say this, this is cameo for me. Like that would be, uh, who's someone that's been on SNL for two seasons now probably a bowen yang has he been on two seasons yet yeah i want to say yeah but yeah that would be like a bowen yang appearing on say i I know it's already ended so but this is the only nbc show i can think of right now that would be like a bowen yang appearing in the last season of superstore which would be a cameo i think right yeah yeah i think you'd have to count that yeah definitely that's a great context uh interestingly enough molly shannon originally auditioned for the part of toby in 1994's episode, uh, Seinfeld, The Fire, in season five. That's the woman who won't shut up during Jerry's set, so he goes to heckle her at work. You remember her? <laughs> I, honestly, I don't. <laughs> She's like a redhead in... Whoever the actress is, is a redhead in The Fire. And and she like she thinks it's part of going to a comedy show to like yell during the act, like, oh, yeah, come on, buddy, or whatever. And Jerry's like, oh, what are you doing okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and she works with Elaine, and yeah, and so he goes to heckle her at work. I think that's I think that's where she works. And she so, but she didn't get that obviously. Interestingly enough, too, she also auditioned for the part of Katie, Jerry's agent, who was of course played by the great Deborah Jo Rupp in The Diplomats Club and wow. The Abstinence in season six and season eight. Yeah, which I find interesting because Deborah Jo Rupp, I looked it up, is fourteen years older than Molly Shannon. So it would have been really interesting to go with Molly Shannon, judging by who they end up ended up going with. You know. Yeah, really, and I love Deborah Jo Rupp in that role. Oh yeah, I, a- I think it's I think it's perfect for her. Yeah, so funny, <laughs> like that, just that little voice, and like just being so overly apologetic to Jerry and still screwing everything up. And yeah, yeah, no, it was it was perfect. I think the right call was made. I think she could have played Toby. I think that would have been funny because that's kind of her in her character. But uh, no, I, I think she, um, yeah, she did pretty good. George is very excited at the beginning of the Summer of George, watching The White Shadow on TV. And Ted and I were pretty clueless as far as what that is. It is an American drama TV series starring Ken Howard that ran on CBS from November of 1978 to March of 1981. So before I was born, this was on TV. Uh, so if there's anyone, you know, in their 60s who wants to watch it with me, uh, you know, let's start a podcast. <laughs> That'll, that'll be for the Patreon. <laughs> yeah. Um, Wait, how, how old is your dad? My dad is in his 70s. Do you think he would want to do a White Shadow <laughs> podcast with you? Maybe. <laughs> Holy shit. 
Yeah. And it'll, it's going to be pretty short. It's only three seasons and, and 54 episodes, so. Oh, that's perfect for Patreon. Yeah, I think so, too. And, it, and it's honestly perfect for this concept because here's what it's about. It's about a white former professional basketball player who takes a job coaching basketball at an urban high school with a racially mixed basketball team that, what do they call it, underserved um, just impoverished. Uh, oh, and, okay, gotcha. Yeah, the series broke new ground as the first television ensemble drama to feature a mostly African-American cast, and the majority of the team, so the high school principal, vice principal, and the majority of the players were all African-American, and the White Shadow also dealt with controversial subject matter like STDs and gay sexual orientation among high school students, all the way as far wow. back as, yeah, the late 70s, early 80s. And I guess George was a fan. <laughs> <laughs> There was some network, some UHF network in in New York City that was still playing this. Uh, all these was years um, later. was it like TNT or or something like that around in the late nineties? It had to. Have yes, been. yeah, I know, like TBS and maybe T- yeah, I'm sure TNT was at that point too. Yeah, it was probably still uh, USA was probably still TNN. So it, you know what? This feels like a very TNN series to run in syndication. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. It was probably it was probably on one of those <laughs> one of the Turner networks. <laughs> so what about Amanda Pete? I definitely recognized her. And where was she in her relationship? She of course plays Lynette, and she is forty nine currently, born in NYC. Her first screen performances were in television commercials for Skittles and an uncredited appearance as Larry Sanders' girlfriend in the second episode of the Larry Sanders Show in nineteen ninety two. Her film debut was in the high school drama Animal Room from ninety five which also starred Neil Patrick Harris and Matthew Lillard. And she appeared in a November 1995 episode of Law and & Order. And in fact, for much of the late 90s, she just kind of, she was one of those steady actors being in stuff like One Fine Day with George Clooney and Michelle Pfeiffer. She was in She's the One with Jennifer Aniston and Cameron Diaz, but like little little bit parts, you know, like somebody's babysitter or sister or something like that, I think. And so then came Seinfeld. And her big break didn't really come until 98 when she was in Playing by Heart with Sean Connery, Gillian uh, Anderson, and Ryan Phillippe. And then her first major film role was, I'm sorry, her first major role was Jacqueline Barrett in the WB Network series Jack and Jill, which aired for two seasons from 99 to 2001 to moderate success. Her first big movie role, as I mentioned, remembering her from this, it was in 2000 from the mafia comedy The Whole Nine Yards with Bruce Willis. And, of course, I, I don't know how I didn't mention this, but she played Judith, the psychologist and romantic interest of Jason Biggs, in the hilarious comedy Saving Silverman in 2001, <laughs> which I love. And, and honestly, it's not her or Jason Biggs that make the movie. It's Jack Black and Steve Zahn, the brilliant. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I wish they had, like, a sequel about just those guys, because it's, it's a thing of beauty, that movie. Or, or even if there was another movie with Jack Black and Steve Zahn. Yeah, just not playing the same roles, just like... Yeah I, yeah, I felt like they had really good chemistry in that movie. Oh, man, the best. Just so funny. Yeah, so my verdict on, for Amanda Peet is acting job. Just a... Uh, uh, okay, yeah. okay. Because she really, that's really just kind of what she did. Like, hey, I'm someone's girlfriend in this movie or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with acting job on this one. Kramer wins a Tony for Scarsdale Surprise that everyone in the show kind of knows is based on some diet doctor murder, which all sounded made up to me. But here we go, Ted. <laughs> um, oh, get, God. Get ready to be as wrapped as America was in 1980. <laughs> so March of 1980, March 10th. New York cardiologist Herman Tarnauer, uh, who just a little That's a name. yeah, just a little more than a year earlier, had been catapulted to national fame in the wake of the publication of his book, 
the complete Scarsdale medical diet, was shot to death by his spurned lover, Gene Harris. Ooh. Yeah, he founded this Scarsdale Medical Group, which tended to, like, Scarsdale is kind of this, like, really um, expensive suburb of New York City. And so okay. all, all the bankers and corporate lawyers and publishers and people who live there, he was, like, their personal doctor. He would make house calls and stuff like that. Um, uh-huh. Okay. For cardiac risk patients, he printed up a sheet with a high-protein, low-fat, and carbohydrate diet. He devised the diet and then expanded it, and that became the Scarsdale Diet, which the book was a huge hit in 1978. Jean Harris was the headmistress of the Madeira School for Girls in McLean, Virginia, near D.C., but in 1966, they started a relationship when she was 23 years younger than him. Who, um, dare I ask how old she was at this time? <laughs> uh, let me see. Uh, in 66, let me look her up. She was born in 23, so in 66, she oh, was... Okay. Oh, she was 40... Uh, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, 43. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. That sounds right. Yeah. yeah. She she was 43, and he was 66 when they met. Okay. Yeah. Still, still weird, but like I feel like an age gap that large gets less weird whenever you're into your like 40s and 50s. Yeah, yeah I'll agree. Uh, so the relationship continued, but Herman was, he, he never married, and he was kind of a, uh, a player. And he carried on seeing other women, while Gene kept looking for signs of love and commitment. So even before Harris moved from Connecticut, near this suburb, to McLean, Virginia, which is near D.C., I think I mentioned, to take over the school in 77, the doctor had already started spending time with his office secretary. On March 9th of 1980... Gene Harris drove 264 miles from D.C. to purchase New York with a revolver, saying later that her intention had been to kill herself in front of him. But when she got there, she found lingerie belonging to the secretary in his bedroom, and Harris became enraged. A struggle ensued. The gun was fired with four bullets entering Tarnower, and he died on the way to the hospital. Harris claimed that, that the shooting was an accident, which the jury did not buy. I mean, four bullets doesn't yeah, seem like much I, of, you know no that's like bullets one, bullet one yeah is an accident bullets two three and four are uh well yeah guess i gotta finish the job well hard parts over yeah I, i'm unless it's a semi-automatic not even no wait i'm getting my guns confused unless it's an automatic rifle right 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 yeah yeah unless it fires like four bullets in a second then well, like we can understand the, the only the only way four bullets is an accident <laughs> is if you hold down the trigger and it fires four bullets. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> if you're pulling the trigger four times, that's no accident. <laughs> yeah. I, and I and it was a revolver, as I think it said in the story. Yeah, she had a revolver. It was like a thirty-eight or something. Yeah. And another thing I read in, in my research about this was that she brought extra bullets. And the jury was like, if you... Or the prosecution or something like, if you were going to just kill yourself in front of him, why did you, why were your pockets full of extra bullets? Yeah. You know? So the jury didn't buy it, and she was convicted of second degree murder, sentenced to 15 years to life. And she had the last three years of her sentence commuted in 93 and lived quietly in Connecticut until her death in 2012 at the age of 89. Wow. Yeah. So in addition to the fake Broadway musical, there are two real made-for-TV movies, one called The People vs. Gene Harris that came out in 1981. And actually, Ellen Burstyn got a nomination for a Golden Globe and an Emmy for that. Jeez. Okay. Yeah. And then in 2005, they made a movie called Mrs. Harris. Again, this is made-for-TV, but it had two very not-made-for-TV stars, 
Ben Kingsley as the Doctor and Annette Benning as Jean Harris. Wow. Yeah, I know. Oh, my God. <laughs> and to be fair, you know, you, you say made for TV and it kind of has like, especially in 1981 and maybe even as late as 2005, a negative connotation. Yeah. But if I'm, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken, the second one was actually an HBO movie. So those have okay. a little more clout, even back in 05. Yeah, yeah I, I would say like made for TV has a very negative connotation until AMC really blossoms yeah. with Mad Men and Breaking Bad. Yeah, yeah, and starts... Um, is it? No, I'm thinking of FX. Uh, FX, too, I feel like really started breaking some ground in yeah, I think they, they came along, They broke too. ground with like, with like Nip Tuck, I think, yeah. was... Maybe the first thing to really grab people's attention, but if they would have like followed up with another hit series, I think they would have stolen that thunder from AMC. But because AMC had Mad Men, then Breaking Bad, yeah. then Walking Dead, everyone's like, "Oh, holy shit! We we can have blockbuster TV shows." And for that matter, I I believe AMC. Maybe it was A and E. What, I always get those two mixed up, I, but I want to say that AMC is the one that had the network rights to The Sopranos, so they like heavily edited The Sopranos and would show it as well. Maybe that was A&E. Oh. Now I don't remember. Uh, I think you're right. I think that was A&E. Yeah. Because I, I was a big AMC head during yeah. this time with, with Breaking Bad and Walking Dead in like, what was that? Like the 2007 to 2012 range. Yeah, yeah. Um. But yeah, I don't remember Sopranos being on AMC. Yeah, it, it, it must be, it must have been A and E. I recognize the actor who played the African American producer of Scarsdale Surprise, and I don't know where I know him from, but he is just happens to be one of those actors that's in everything. His name is Tucker Smallwood. He get this. Okay. He served. Oh in- no, that's an unfortunate <laughs> last name. <laughs> Tucker Smallwood. Yeah, especially when you're, <laughs> especially when your first name rhymes with so many great. Uh, well, you know, I mean, there's there's fucker Smallwood, obviously, but also, but also there's Pecker Smallwood, which I think Pecker is even better. Smallwood. I think it's even oh. better, even though you lose that f bomb. <laughs> it is good. There, oh my god, there, there, there's just something about the word Pecker. Yes, that, that's like it. It's it's funny to say. I know, but like now, I want this guy to have a son and name him Richard. <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> yes tucker smallwood uh, but get this so as much as we just laughed at this man uh he served in vietnam and oh, god damn it <laughs> yeah for years multiple tours um served in vietnam now, now i'm now i'm picturing arlie ermy yelling smallwood hey pecker smallwood here. get over here pecker <laughs> hey hey smallwood add attention <laughs> Arlie Ermey, also maybe his second best role, Saving Silverman. <laughs> Gotta mention it. So, yeah, Tucker served in Vietnam. Get this, he was fatally shot and pronounced dead. And then I guess he what? got better. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, pronounced dead and then um, moved to New York City and started acting. Yeah, a small woods don't give up that easily. <laughs> yeah. Uh, his films include uh, 84's The Cotton Club. He was in Contact, which I love. Deep Impact, another great uh, 90s, you know, end of the world movie. Uh, He was in Sour Grapes, which Larry David uh, wrote. Uh, Traffic, um, Spectres, Embers, and a bunch of stuff. On TV, he's been a regular, made guest appearances on uh, Millennium, Babylon 5, The X-Files, Curb Your Enthusiasm, Murphy Brown, Star Trek Voyager, and Star Trek Enterprise. Uh, He was on, on an episode of Friends, on the Sarah Silverman program on Comedy Central, so... 
yeah, he's just one of those guys that has been in everything. So impossible to know what I recognize him from. But yeah, there you go. Uh, let me see. Oh, we also wanted to know if the guy who asks George if he wants to play Frolf was the same guy who plays Neil. It is not George's stand-in that played Neil in those other two ep- or that played Neil in that episode and was in another episode. But it is. It did solve a mystery in the credits for me because it is writer David Mandel, and I was so confused. Because in the credits, David Mandel is listed as himself. And I was like, what? Huh. Yeah, so in this alternate universe, David Mandel exists, but he's not a successful sitcom writer in Los Angeles. He is a New Yorker who plays Frisbee golf. <laughs> so I want to know where that universe's David Mandel took a wrong turn and, and didn't become the, you know, didn't go on to be involved with Veep and all these great shows that David Mandel has been a part of, but instead just ended up playing Froth in, in the park. I, I think I want to know. I just find it. I'm like, so he, he's playing himself. I mean, that's David Mandel. <laughs> I just think it's weird. Um, so that's all the homework that we had. Here's some other trivia and tidbits. Uh, the episode was written under the working title, the dude, and then renamed as the George story ended up taking greater prominence in the episode. But that Jerry Lynette Lyle story was based on the time Alec Berg, uh, who co-wrote this episode, invited an actress who had appeared in an episode of Seinfeld to come with him to the Oscars because I guess he had worked on it and written some jokes. And the woman is Dylan Tay, who is the hot woman who can get away with anything from the episode The Calzone. And when Berg came to pick her up, he found a man in her apartment with whom she shared what he described as more than a peck, but not quite a smooch. And so we did cover this. If this sounds familiar, we did cover this when we talked about The Calzone in season seven because Dylan Tay was in that episode. Mm. Okay. Uh, so ripped from the real lives, uh, they, it finally, you know, almost a full two seasons later, it finally makes it into the show. Uh, the character Sam <laughs> was inspired by a high school mate of the other co-writer of the episode, Jeff Schaefer. Uh, we somehow know her name, Sonia Chada, uh, I guess because he mentions it in the actual uh, commentary. She didn't swing her arms when she walked, and Shaver said that none of her classmates noticed until one day she was carrying a beaker across the room, and their chemistry teacher, Mr. Horgan, so again, we have so many names from this old high school story, (laughs) exploded, for God's sake, Sonia, swing your arms, and Molly Shannon uh, accidentally slashed her arm in the first take of the rampage in Elaine's office, but insisted on proceeding with several more takes. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. She accidentally accidentally slashed it? With what? I don't know. There must have been something on the desk that uh, that cut into Wait, her. I know. Was it an upturned letter opener that she just like c- cut her arm with? It seems like something you want to clear out before you do any. Yeah, right. Yeah, rampaging like, like that. Throw it yeah. against a wall. Like we won't be needing <laughs> this. Yeah. So I don't know. But um, another Seinfeld storyline ripped from the writers' lives. The callback to the muffin tops was not in this episode script. But when Jerry came to the set in a towel, the crew noticed that his chest hair still hadn't fully regrown from when he shaved it for the muffin tops, and they decided to work it into the episode, which I'm so glad they did because I noticed right off the bat. I remember writing it in my notes like, wait a minute, is Jerry still shaving his chest? And then they they went ahead and and mentioned it, which was great. It's great when they have a little throwaway line like that that explains something that people were going to nitpick. Sometimes they do it and we're like, no one would have noticed that, but, but this definitely needed it. Kramer firing Raquel Welch from Scarsdale Surprise was based on Andrew Lloyd Webber firing Faye Dunaway from Sunset Boulevard. Let's go back to June of 1994 when 
Faye Dunaway called Andrew Lloyd Webber's decision to close Sunset Boulevard yet another capricious act by a capricious man. Uh, she was supposed to take over the role of Norma Desmond in the L.A. production, and Lloyd Webber officials fired Dunaway on a Tuesday, announced the closing of the show on Thursday, saying that her singing was not up to the demands of the musical's lead role. Glenn Close played the role, and she le- she was leaving the L.A. production to star in the Broadway production, and then Faye Dunaway was, Dunna was going to take over that L.A. production, but then rather than continue it, they close it down. Lloyd Webber had been peripatetic. How about that for a word? Hmm. Uh, Lloyd had been peripatetic throughout the entire process, changing his mind from day to way, day to day. Dunaway said she learned of his late uh, of her late of her dismissal late on that Tuesday from her manager and complained that Andrew Lloyd Webber didn't even call her. So kind of like these producers were like, we have to find somebody to fire Raquel Welch. Just Andrew Lloyd Webber called her people and her people said, you're fired. She did end up suing him for $1 million in, for breach of contract and $5 million for defamation and fraud and punitive Whoa. damages. Yeah. So $5 million for saying you can't sing. Then Andrew Lloyd Webber started speaking out, called it a PR, PR stunt, a further log thrown by Faye Dunaway and her representatives trying to fuel the fire of media attention, which they have constantly stoked since we terminated her role. Uh, they settled out of court for an undisclosed sum. I love just how erudite this feud was. I mean, that doesn't happen anymore, you know? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, So interestingly enough, Andrew Lloyd Webber also kind of screwed over Broadway great Patti Lapone, who premiered the role in London, then was going to take it to Broadway, but then Andrew Lloyd Webber just kind of fired her, and he never even called her to tell her he was replacing her with Glenn Close for the New York show. So he kind of like, I think they had to like pay out her contract too, like a million bucks or something like that. So yeah, just kind of an interesting rip from the headlines part of the script though speaking of Raquel Welch though though she had a reputation for being difficult to work with as the episode itself parodies the Seinfeld cast and crew said they encountered no problems with her well I mean of course they're gonna say that you know it's like <laughs> what do they want their asses kicked yeah um, for real she seemed happy to be a part of the show the fight between Raquel Welch and Elaine was filmed but during the editing stage it was decided that it was funnier to have the fight entirely off camera so I guess some perv just wanted a cat fight between Julia Louis-Dreyfus and Raquel Welch Andy Ackerman <laughs> Pointing the finger right at you, buddy. You're canceled, Ackerman. Yeah, Ackerman's canceled for filming onset cat fights, and then not not even for the show. Superfluous onset cat fights, uh, and that is it. Oh boy, All I right. know, I know. But that Scarsdale other... murder, who knew? Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, any other news or anything? I don't think so. Okay, I got like one little bit. By the time this comes out, Tim, yeah, our Patreon will be live. Oh damn. But I, I haven't created it yet. We're oh, okay. Full full transparency. We're recording this on Tuesday. It comes out on Sunday. I've got I've got a few days. I've got a wedding to go to this weekend. I might do it tomorrow morning. But our Patreon will be live. And if you go there, I'm not sure like what we want to set the tiers at. Uh, I think we talked about this off mic before, but we can talk about it again once the show uh, once we're done recording. Mm-hmm. But I think it's only right that now that we are into the final season of Seinfeld. That we reveal the next show we will be talking about behind the paywall. Oh, snap. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 think that's, I think that's appropriate, Great right? idea. Yeah, great idea. Okay, okay. Uh, but yeah, uh, I will put a link to that in the description if you want to go check that out. But our Patreon will be live if you are listening to this the day it comes out. Honestly, any, any time. Any day it, now. It should stay active, right? Yeah. yeah. Any day. <laughs> But yeah, I, I think that's all the 
news that I, we need to touch on. I do have a question for you because uh, we got a great new follower named Jimmy Staka at Jimmy Staka this week, and he mentioned is this another oh, yeah. is this another meme stock happening where they are calling it the summer of George for these people who have this? Is it a shoe company? What do you know about this? I have no idea. Okay. I checked out his profile a little bit too. Yeah, but I, I really do not know. So he said, uh, he it, tweeted it, at it us. It didn't look familiar to me at all. A lot of us, GVSI, that's the uh, the stock that they're holding. A lot of us holders are talking about the summer of George. This is my favorite podcast talking about the infamous Seinfeld episode that just came out today. Is this a sign of what we have coming this week? And I don't know what the hell he's talking about, but I wish I did. <laughs> yeah. At Jimmy Staka, if that is your real name. Uh <laughs> Uh, let us know because I I have no idea. I'm curious about it. Though. Yeah, explain it to um, us. Yeah, if if we can all be rich, we're all going to be rich. It right? seems very Wall Street uh, Wall Street bedish <laughs> right now. Oh man! All right. Well, if you've never listened to the show before, we are not a research heavy show. Uh, we like to do our homework uh, the week fall. Damn it! You know. We- <laughs> We're like three years into this, and I still can't get this right. Uh, we like to have our questions pop up naturally in the run of the episode and assign them to ourselves the week following as though we are giving ourselves homework. I've never seen these episodes before. Tim has never seen these episodes before in chronological order after being a lifelong fan for years. How about re-adding that for the first time in like uh. four months? If we miss anything, if we egregiously skip over something, please send us a tweet or send us an email. It's at nohugging on Twitter or nohuggingnolearningshow at gmail.com. Both of those links are in the description or on the show description page on Apple Podcasts. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star rating and a written review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast player of choice, and we will send you a free holographic no-hugging, no-learning sticker. Uh, We just need your mailing address, so you can send that to us in whatever way that you choose. All that being said, Season 9, Episode 1, The Butter Shave. Original air date, September 25th, 1997. I was four years, nine months, and five days old. I'm getting done having a nice four-year-old summer. I, I, I don't know what... I don't know if this is the summer that we went to SeaWorld or not, but Ooh, um, it, was, I it, just, was, it was one of these summers. I should have my driver's license by now. I'm oh, 16. God. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I know. Jeez. Uh, if you're counting this episode and every other episode we have left, Tim, we've got 22 episodes until we become a well a podcast where we take an actor's name several actors name per episode and make them as juvenile and funny as possible like pecker smallwood <laughs> pecker smallwood i like it yeah why not i, I don't know i don't know how much longevity that has though <laughs> well once we're done with every single celebrity we can um we can go move Just on to real about people. people we know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or you know, you, you submit your own name and then we you make it dirty. That's part of our Patreon. It's five bucks for us to make your name as lazily juvenile as possible. <laughs> oh, this guy's name is Dick Hertz. Yeah. Ha, well, you don't have to do any yeah. work with that. Done. Uh, Thanks for the and, five and bucks, that, loser. And, yeah, that's the end of the show. Oh my god! <laughs> well, that would be great though, because I said several actors just to make it longer. But wouldn't it be great if we only did one per episode and it was like <laughs> it's a, a three minute second, show? Yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah. Thirty seconds to three minutes, depending on how easy our job is. <laughs> what would you do? Let's test oh it. What would you do god. with Annette Benning? Hmm. There's we uh, could say banging uh, at the end. I was gonna say a nut banging. <laughs> yes. This podcast. I want to stop the Seinfeld podcast and do this now. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> G- give me another banging. one. Give me another one. Uh, well, Ben Kingsley's right next to her. Kingsley. Uh, mm. I mean, can we do? Can we just do bang again? <laughs> what about what about uh, bone? Bone. Bone. Cuxley. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or or uh, we go the uh, what movie was this? We go the Wayne's World route. We go uh, Bone Schwingsley. Uh, yeah, yeah, I like it. I like that, too. It's almost, it bridges uh. on complimentary, but I think it would still, you know, if you were in middle school, you wouldn't want to be called that. <laughs> no, no. What's up, Bone? Bone Schwingsley? <laughs> Why do you go hang out with a nut banging? <laughs> Honestly, boning was right there too, a nut boning, and I, I went with banging, yeah. I don't know why. But I think that's the appeal of our podcast is there's always gonna be a better a better name, but we're not gonna come up with it. <laughs> this is one of the best ideas we've ever had. D- definitely one of the neck one of the best uh, next show ideas yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. <laughs> If you're looking at TV Guide the night of September 25th, 1997, you are going to see <clears throat> George gets a new job after he's mistaken for being handicapped while Jerry suspects Banya is taking advantage of him, period. Kramer's latest shaving technique backfires as Elaine breaks up with her boyfriend during a transatlantic flight. Oh, man. it's We're going <laughs> to have to cut it. Even I say that, but that Elaine storyline is really going to throw us for a loop. I mean... <laughs> Do you remember how uh, last week I said sometimes whenever I run out of characters, whenever I'm typing up the description for Apple Podcasts, <laughs> I will use our shortened version to, to use strictly for Apple Podcasts, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, whenever I was publishing last week's episode, I was able to get in our shortened description. And then whenever I say whatever is in the episode, I was only able to say, this week we're talking about the Summer of George and a bunch of other stuff I can't fit here. <laughs> that was it. I couldn't fit anything else. Yeah, they're getting along. Uh, yeah, so the butter shave. We start with a, a cold open uh, <laughs> at Monks. But let's first, we got to talk about the new logo, the Season 9 logo. Oh, yeah. We've got, like, an outer space background and yeah. a, a, a teal font. For this outer space background, I don't know how I'm going to replicate this. Uh, unless I can just, like, uh, unless I'm able to find a look-alike outer space pattern yeah there's there has to be like some seinfeld fan out there who's recreated that right yeah or you can maybe grab enough of it from where the letters don't go over and just sort of tile it in some way i don't know i I, with how much i'd have to stretch it it probably wouldn't look great I, i feel like i'm gonna have to like download uh, illustrator and just like make this myself that's yeah. my fear but it's not the end of the world if it comes down to that yeah so we know that last year had that checkered flag because jerry thought it was going to be the last season what does space yeah. mean I-, I was gonna ask you this like, <laughs> <laughs> maybe we'll find I- out if uh, if the checkered flag is supposed to represent the final season, what does the season after the final season represent? Is this speaking of of meme stocks? Is this Jerry Seinfeld saying to the moon? Seinfeld to the moon. Seinfeld there we to go. The moon. Yeah. Sign coin to the moon. Even though it's like a ringed planet that you can definitely make out, maybe it's to Saturn, even further than the moon. Sign coin to Saturn. There sign we fucking go. <laughs> there you go, Jimmy Stocka. Buy sign coin. Yeah, that's what you want. So interesting new logo, and I, I honestly kind of like it. The teal works well with the dark blue, and I like that cool yeah. space background. Yeah, this is a good yeah. one. 
I feel like definitely out of our last few season logos, yeah. uh, whenever I recreate this for our show, it's definitely going to be the most legible in a few seasons. Because yeah. that, that checkerboard was hideous. Yeah, that was rough. I, I, I kind of like it, but it was, it was rough. And I didn't like the font color for the checkerboard, I don't think. I forget what it was now, but... For Seinfeld? Yeah. Like, like the font? Yeah. Was it... um. God, was it a blue as well? It might have been. Maybe I'm mixing up. There was just like I, a I really... think it's it's a it's a darker blue. It's not quite the teal we have for season nine, but it's it's a bit of a more um, not quite a navy. I, I don't know my shades of blue names. Right, right. But but it's a blue. Yeah, I'm thinking maybe maybe I was thinking of season six or seven. But one of the one of the fonts or one of the backgrounds was like a disgusting like like diarrhea green or something and i was like oh come oh, on I, is... oh that was season like six or seven six that was the season that we started about a year and change ago so what that would be six i think yeah that sounds right so we open in monks as i said and jerry and george reveal that they have grown mustaches over the summer <laughs> and Jerry is is sick of his, and George. It was George's idea to grow them. He said mustaches would have been better than a vacation. Jerry said we take take a vacation, and George suggested a vacation from themselves, which was grow mustaches. And George, I forget what he suggests here. Oh, mutton chops. And Jerry's like, you know what? Yeah, you got to get a job. And he's like, damn it. <laughs> I I like the mustaches. I felt like they both look good with mustaches. Yeah, definitely. It's interesting. George's little pencil thin one, and then Jerry's like big Italian one. <laughs> Jerry's got a big mustache. <laughs> yeah. It's full. Yeah, I wonder but if those I, were I real. Loved, maybe I don't know. I, I loved George's line. He's like, I feel like an out of work porn star. Yeah, he definitely. It was definitely porn stash ish. And so, cut to catch a rising star, which is a chain of stand up locations that st- stand up theaters that started in New York City in 1972. This started at First Avenue between East 77th and 78th, and then in 1990, it moved to this location that we're getting an exterior of here, which is 253 West 8th Street, and it closed in 1993. Oh. Yeah. This location did? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So four years before this episode aired, it's already closed. But Jerry Seinfeld... Jerry Seinfeld got his start there, and he was also there on what was what uh, articles called a very emotional closing night. But listen to who else got their start at Catch a Rising Star in New York City. Let me see. Uh, well, for some reason, Pat Benatar, not a stand-up comic, but I don't know why she was. Uh, <laughs> Billy Crystal, Robin Williams, Bill Maher, Joy Behar, Andy Kaufman, Richard Belzer, Adam Sandler, Elaine Boozler, Eddie Murphy, Larry David, Ray Romano, Richard Lewis, Chris Rock. And I wish they hadn't saved him for last, Louis C.K. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so What a list, though. I know. Yeah, I mean, pretty much anybody. So pretty crazy. But yeah, this, uh, it, there, there are still locations all over the U.S., but the one in New York City uh, shuttered, like I said, in, in 1993. So interestingly enough. So I guess this is maybe some alternate universe that Jerry, you know, maybe he wants an alternate universe where Catch a Rising Star, you know, the club where the, that helped him get his start is, is still there. Uh, it is currently <laughs> ADI Global Distribution. And there's a giant in this establishing shot. You can see like Catch a Rising Star has vacant lots on both sides. Now on one <laughs> side, there's a huge new building on, on the left. Mm, Brand new. Okay. Yeah. The interior we cut to is 
well, anytime they need an interior for a bar, it's been the interior yeah, of it, it, P&G it, Cafe. It looks, like every other, it looks like every other bar that we've been in. It's definitely the interior of the Improv, which, by the way, I found out uh, the Improv in New York City closed soon after Catch a Rising Star. <laughs> oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> um, which Mark Marin was a, a regular at, at both locations, and he mentions that as like the beginning of like kind of him hitting rock bottom is when Catch and the improv closed like one two. He he said it was like a one two punch to him, just like sending him spiraling. Um, interestingly enough, I think that's in his book, um, Waiting for the Punch. Uh, and so George has a cane now, no more crutches. You might remember at the end of season eight, he was going to have to go through rigorous physical therapy just to be able to walk again after slipping down the steps. So he says uh, he likes a cane because no one asks about a cane. With the crutches, you got kind of, oh, it's a funny story, but a cane's always a sad story. So he likes that. And he also likes using it uh, to like grab peanuts from across the bar. <laughs> to which Jerry just replies, that is sad. Yeah. And NBC saw Jerry's set that night, and he's invited to another showcase, and so he might have another shot at a pilot. And George goes, oh, my gosh, we're back in? He's a, and Jerry goes, we? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Banya comes in, and Banya killed. And Jerry suspects it's because he's following Jerry, and Jerry is, like, warming up the crowd and giving Banya these super easy crowds. We cut to Jerry's apartment, and he... Here's something I noticed new in season nine. He has counter stools now at that little island. Oh, yeah, that's right. I never noticed those before, but... Um, I don't think he's had them. Yeah. I know that he talked about getting them when he did, redid the cabinetry, but uh, yeah, I don't, know, I don't know why they're giving him counter stools now. Maybe somebody, wanted, somebody just wanted to sit down. They think that they deserved it in season nine. Uh, Superman <laughs> is still on the shelf, by the way, and Kramer comes in and he still has his stash. Uh, and Jerry tells him, uh, we're not doing that anymore. And so he runs out. <laughs> but George is checking. His, what did you think of Kramer's stash? Kramer's stash was nice. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. think Jerry had the best one, though. Yeah, yeah. I think you're probably right. I think for me, it might go Jerry, Kramer, George. Uh, even though George looked great with his. I mean, that's just how good the other ones looked. And George is checking his messages. He has an interview. And he's like, and it's in sports. And Jerry goes, oh, cool. Knicks, Rangers. And he's like, playground equipment. <laughs> <laughs> And Kramer comes back in, and his stash is gone in, like, 30 seconds uh, as George exits. And Jerry picks up a postcard from Elaine. She is in Europe with Putty for a month. Kramer is like, oh, uh, she's dating Putty again. And Jerry goes, oh, yeah, I guess she uh, batted around, and she's back at the top of the order. Um, (laughs) And Kramer goes, a month in Europe, a month traveling with Elaine. That guy's coming home in a body bag or something like that. Even though it's... um, inappropriate i do always and normally it's in front of her but i do always find jerry's slut shaming jokes about elaine hilarious (laughs) and this one interestingly you did all those baseball metaphors you know ted because that's a that's a hilarious oh wow yeah oh my god (laughs) i i was wondering like if elaine's back at the top of the order wouldn't that be jerry right exactly but i feel like that's the context that's the um undercurrent of any of his jokes about elaine's dating life is that they dated, you know, like they're always there's always a hint of jealousy, you know, that she's dating somebody else and not him. So we uh, cut to a map pointing out Oslo, which is still there, by the way, still uh, there. <laughs> uh, and Elaine and Putty are fighting in a cab. And she does mention, you know, if you tell me what time it is in New York one more time, I'm going to send you home in a body bag. And they decide to break up and we find out they are on the way to get on their flight home at the airport. And we cut to the plane where Putty... <laughs> Starts weeping openly, and Elaine asks when the drink cart is coming by. 
Not only that, but like I think it's the pilot that comes over the PA and says it's a 22-hour <sighs> flight. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, and Putty is just, uh, you know, Oof. so great to see Putty again, though. Oh, I'm so glad he's back. We cut to Jerry's apartment where Kramer read on the internet that Banya killed. And there's a huge laugh about this, and I'm like, is this a laugh about the internet or laughing about Banya killing? Because it was too big for... I mean, I guess Kramer mentioning that to Jerry is funny, but I was like, why was that laugh so big? Are we still laughing about reading stuff on the internet at this point in 97? We might be. We might be, yeah. Kramer's definitely the person who's like, weird enough, of course he's on the internet. Yeah, because I always think of like freshman year of high school is when I got on the internet, and I feel like I was an early adopter. Yeah. That would have been 95, 95. Yeah, that would have been like 95, 96. And so, you know, surely in the summer of 97 when they were filming this, maybe it was still funny to, like, say you read something on the internet. (laughs) It just seemed like too big of a laugh for me. Uh, And so Jerry calls Banya, and I had to rewind this a million times. He calls Banya a time slot hit because he keeps following Jerry. He's a time slot hit. What did you think he said? I couldn't tell what the second word was. I was like, what is that second word? I don't get it. And then I was like, oh, it's a sitcom joke. Like, Time Slot Hit to me is, you know, more about, like, a show that follows a a very popular show that just gets a great lead-in, as Seinfeld was at this point. So I did a little dive, and I found out that at this point, Veronica's Closet was following Seinfeld, and it was the number three show behind Friends at 8 o'clock. Whoa. Yeah. So, I'm sorry, it it was beating Friends. It was beating Friends no at 8 o'clock. Way. Yeah, Veronica's Closet wow. was beating Friends because it followed Seinfeld. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, and that was like, um, I think Kathy Griffin was on that show, and Kirstie Alley played, the I think, the titular character. So, yeah, like I remember watching it like it wasn't a great show, but just because, you know, it was a time slot hit. And so I'm like, interesting that Jerry seems to have a problem with this concept, you know, like... Oh, Ver- like why? What does he care if Veronica's Closet is a good or bad show? It's like what? What is? What is that? Um, how does he lose out or anything? You know? Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know? for real. If it was beating Seinfeld, I'd say that's you know he's got a point. But um, and then so that was in '96 through the spring summer. Then the Naked Truth debuted, and that was number four. So the Naked Truth came on after Seinfeld, and that was number four behind Friends. Um, and then after that, fired up which was number six uh, behind Friends, and then suddenly Susan, which uh, became the number three show on television, all because they followed Seinfeld, which is like the number one show on TV. Um, and then Third Rock, which I can't tell if it debuted or if it was like on afterwards, but um, it sort of broke the streak. And maybe even Seinfeld was like off the air at that point. But Third Rock from the Sun debuted this year, I think. And, and uh, so that was a new show. So it didn't take off as much as the others, even though it lasted a lot longer than any of those. I don't even remember what Fired Up was about. Suddenly, Susan, I know, had Brooke Shields. But uh, yeah, so uh, just just uh, some interesting time slot hits that followed Seinfeld. Kramer starts <laughs> rubbing butter on his face. And I love the way this scene was blocked and set up and, and executed because he almost gets out. Like Jerry's kind of like waiting for him to explain himself. Yeah. And he almost gets out the door and he's like, Wait, 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 wait. Do I even have to ask? <laughs> you know, then Kramer tells him he's shaving with butter. Like, it's the most normal thing. He's like, anything else, Mr. Nosy? He, and, Jer- and Jerry goes, oh, Moses, smell the roses when he tells him he's shaving with it. <laughs> that's Which, a very that's a very grandma expression. Yeah, yeah. And a great Seinfeld trivia name, too, I think, if you need one. Moses, Moses smell the roses. Moses, smell the roses. Yeah, I think it's wow. pretty good. It is, yeah. Uh, and he's like... 
feel how smooth my skin is. And Jerry takes two pieces of bread and slaps him on his face. And then Kramer grabs one of the pieces of bread that was rubbed on his face and eats it. <laughs> By the way, did you notice how much makeup ended up on the butter stick and the bread? Yeah. Yeah. Holy shit. How about that? <laughs> Not supposed to see that in HD. Nope. Just one of those things. Yeah, I was like, I was like, whoa, that butter is brown. Like, it, oh. It was, so, it was so brown, it looked like cinnamon butter. Yes. Yeah, totally. Uh, so we cut to play now, where George is very surprised to find out that he's got the job. And it's because... <laughs> His boss thinks he's handicapped, and George tries to correct it until he hears that he gets his own bathroom. Uh, uh, I, I will say, before I get into feeling uncomfy about this whole scenario, I loved the line of his boss saying, everyone here is very impressed with you. I'm sure you've heard that before. And George just goes, well, no. Yeah, he thinks about <laughs> the, it. The pause, the pause on that is what really got me. Like the, well... No. Yeah. And the, you know, he tries to tell him all of the and George does say, Oh no, the cane is because and and then the boss <laughs> is like, and of course you'll have your own bathroom. Well and it, it the the boss takes it as like being politically correct. He's like, Oh, I'm not handicapped. He's like, Oh, I mean, uh you know, he feels like he's been caught, like the boss is about to be cancelled. He's like, Oh, I mean, uh differently advantaged. Uh yeah, and um Yeah. So we cut to monks where George is telling Jerry about this and he sort of brushes by like Oh, Jerry, the job is great. Oh, the people are great. They think I'm handicapped. I have my own bathroom. He's like, wait, wait. Oh, he's like, I got my big office. He's like, wait, wait, wait. George tries to like sail right by it. And he's like, you know what, Jerry, let's face it. I've always been handicapped. It's just that now I'm getting the recognition. (laughs) Holy fuck. (laughs) I don't even know what to say at this. Yeah, yeah. This is, um, yeah, (laughs) on a lot of levels, it's just like, is it worth getting into? You know, it's just one of those things that like... (laughs) Everybody knows. Even at the time, it was, like, inappropriate. But, yeah, so he was like, can you think of, have I ever had an advantage just from being able to walk or or whatever? He's like, there's a guy that has no arms at the Yankees, and he goes over how his life was so much better than George's, even though he had no arms. And I love Jerry's line here. Do you know how hard it is telling people I even know you? (laughs) Or how hard it's getting telling people I know you, which is great. I... I did like George's reasoning, or not reasoning, his um, description of the guy he worked with at the Yankees. Like, he had no arms, he got more work done, he made <laughs> more money, had a wife and kids, and drove a better car. Jerry just stops him. How did he drove a car with no arms? <laughs> yeah. Okay, I made that last part up. <laughs> and uh, it's at that point that Kramer comes by, because he bought a giant industrial 20-pound tub of butter from Monk's. And because he goes, and you know what I discovered? And this was another great line from Jerry. You can eat it. (laughs) He's like, no, I'm going to rub it all over my body. (laughs) And he leaves. Banya walks in with Jenna. And once again, Jerry has to point out that he's riding his coattails again. Good time slot. Women he's dated. And so Banya is once again, Jerry's setting him up and Banya's knocking him down. Although in this case, it's like it's it's the opposite because he warms up the crowds, but he was such a bad boyfriend that even Banya looks like a good boyfriend to Jenna, <laughs> who was the uh, toothbrush in the toilet girl, in case you don't remember. Yeah. Yeah. She even says, uh, after dating Jerry, you're a pleasure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which there's no way that can be true, but Jerry was just Jerry, you know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we cut to the flight home with Elaine and Putty. And Putty is talking to the drink cart attendant uh, about his relationship. Much like a bartender, too. Because he's like, 
he complains about Elaine being an unstable, a bitter, unstable person. <laughs> He's like, the sex was good, which I'm sure she liked. Yeah, but yeah. I need, I need more. Sure, it was fine for her. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, which I thought was funny. Like, the drink car per- person is the closest thing to a bartender on a 22-hour flight, you know. And Elaine nudges the guy next to her who is startled awake and says, Are you hearing any of this? And uh, and I love his, excuse me, I was sleeping. God. <laughs> and then she's like, well, you missed quite a performance. And starts drinking apple juice and he goes, that's my apple juice. <laughs> oh. Yeah, uh, we cut back to Play Now, where we get a montage over the great hit Morning Train. You know this song? No. Oh, it's a great song. I, I, I thought it was like a perfect song for the montage, but I, I didn't recognize it. Take the morning train. All right, can't afford it anymore, but uh, no, it was great, yeah. <laughs> And it's great because it's talking about the morning train, and it opens with George on one of those stair chairs. What do they call those? Is that what they're called? Stair chairs? It's a good name. Uh, chairlifts. Chairlifts. There you go. Well, I, I almost wrote down chairlift, and I was like, no, that's a skiing thing. But I guess it's both. <laughs> Any chair uh, that goes lift. up a uh, incline. A, a, ski, a skiing thing is a ski lift. Yeah. I always call that a chairlift. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I guess you can call it a chairlift. You are sitting in a chair. Yeah. But you are taking the lift to go ski. So I, I, I don't know. Yeah. I Ski guess, lift, chair lift. I lift. guess any chair lift, any chair that goes up an incline, like a mountain or some stairs, is going to be a stair lift. It, or a chair lift. Yeah. Not a stair yeah, lift. <laughs> yeah, and, and a woman carrying George, which, first of all, I'm like, okay, a woman actually had to carry Jason <laughs> Alexander. How did that happen? Yeah. <laughs> like, that was, they must have found, like, someone very strong. I mean, uh, I, I was very impressed with that woman. And then a shot of him, like, jumping and fencing with his cane in his office. <laughs> and then someone walks in. His door was wide open. I'm like, yeah. Even for George, <laughs> to, that to, was very sloppy. To which he, like, pauses, hesitates, drops the cane, and then falls to the ground. He's like, ah, 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 <laughs> It's worse than dropping it. He, like, smacks the cane out of his own <laughs> hand with his other hand. I'm like, what? That's, George, what are you? Uh, and then he uh, trips a guy, too. Which cracks the office up, and then the guy himself even cracks up, too. Because, of course, he's not going to get angry at the handicapped guy, or the guy they think is handicapped, for tripping him like that. What did you think of this breaking the rule of thirds? Giving us four examples of George being a a handicapped employee. I could have done without the jumping and fencing. That that doesn't fit with the other ones. You're right. You're very right. I I felt like it was weird. Yeah. Because I I was waiting for them to, like, I don't know, end it there. And and maybe, like, George has to add crutches back or something. Because, like, if he's playing off, like, oh, no, I'm I'm hurt again. I I fell down. And and then next, next part is he's just back up happy leaning against the door yeah george in the in the stair chair and the woman carrying him and tripping a guy who cracks up those are all like everyday things that you know (laughs) that should be happening that are funny and the 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 other one's just too it's like it's like too too jokey you know we didn't we didn't need it and also why would he why would he be doing that with his door open even for george it's like (laughs) super dumb uh so at jerry's apartment he walks in and smells somebody cooking and right behind him is newman who uh, attempts to <laughs> we get a good hello newman here and he attempts to reconcile with jerry but jerry informs him he's not the one doing the cooking to which newman just responds like damn you seinfeld <laughs> you useless postule yeah and then he's like well maybe it's kramer and jerry's like no kramer's up on the roof with the butter 
oh no, and then he runs off <laughs> with Newman in hot pursuit. We cut back to the flight with Elaine and Putty trying to make each other jealous with Putty and a woman across the aisle from him and Elaine and the guy she nudged awake earlier who Putty calls, I love this nickname, well, what about you and vegetable lasagna over there? <laughs> Because he's like, you're making time with some floozy across the aisle. He's like, you and vegetable lasagna. I'm guessing because that's what he ordered for his meal, vegetable lasagna. And Elaine's like, what, this guy is an idiot. It doesn't mean anything. And the guy, once again, gives a great deadpan. I can hear you. (laughs) And I like that he's like vaguely European, too. Like, not any specific European country, just like vaguely European. That's also another great element of his performance. Yeah, and so they reconcile. Elaine and Putty reconcile. And Elaine... and. Putty's like, let's make out. <laughs> Up on the roof of Jerry and Kramer's apartment building, Kramer is covered in butter and has been asleep on the roof. And as he said, I cooked myself. And this was another great line delivery. Stick a fork in me. I'm done. <laughs> I mean, I mean, God. he delivered that as seriously as he could, which is the key to great comedy, especially for Michael Richards. Like, it was just brilliant. <laughs> I'm done. It was like so dramatic and over the top. Down in Jerry's apartment, Kramer says he... He's like, man, I'm fried. And Jerry goes, technically you're sautéed, which I thought got – it was funny and it got just the response that it needed. Like it wasn't – it's not a, a, a you know a standing ovation line, but it was definitely very funny. Yeah. And he's like, well, I just got to keep my skin moist so I don't dry out. And Jerry's like, oh, is that what the doctor said? He's like, no, I read it in Bon Appetit magazine. God damn it. <laughs> yeah. So he's reading about literal turkey skin. Like, oh, what do you do when you, you know, overcook someone like this? Oh, just keep it moist so they don't dry out. And George comes in, and he's really limping now on his other leg because he sprained his ankle when he slipped in some shaving butter in his apartment. So he's doing it, too, shaving with butter. And Jerry gets a call that Banya has been added to his network showcase, and he's going on after Jerry. And George finally has to admit that he likes Banya's act because he likes stuff you don't have to think about too much. I want to point out, uh, before Jerry gets this call, we get possibly one of the worst jokes that Jerry's ever said because um, George is talking about like slipping on the butter and Jerry goes, you know, what's good for that relish. Uh, yeah. That was really stupid. It was real bad. Yeah. I, it's almost but, n- not a joke. <laughs> n- no, it's not. You can't even call that a dad joke because at least a dad joke is punny. Yeah. I mean, if it was something that went with butter, but where did <laughs> relish come from? Butter where? and relish are You're not right. in the same condiment family. Like cream cheese. How about that? <laughs> Yeah, I don't, uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, all the all the uh, hack bits that Jerry rattles off to George. He's like, oh, what do you like? Ovaltine, which, by the way, Jerry wrote. Yeah. <laughs> Jerry wrote the yeah. Ovaltine joke. Um, and Ovaltine's like, or the, um, the dogs shop. drinking out of the toilet. Yeah, <laughs> the shopping cart with one wobbly wheel. And George does like that. He's like, it's true. It always happens to me. <laughs> uh, and and George mentions here that you know you don't have to think too much. Uh, back on the flight, Elaine and Putty are making up still, and Elaine pulls out a book to read, and Putty just stares, which Elaine gets infinitely irked by immediately. <laughs> and I love this quote: "We've been together two hours. We're having the same problems we had twelve hours ago. <laughs> like it's been such a long <laughs> relationship already." <laughs> They've been broken up back together, and now they're breaking up again. But I, I also liked, again, what's his name? Uh, what's his real name? Um, Patrick Warburton. I just love his... He, that's just something he does so great is that blank stare. He's not even looking at the seat in front of him. He's looking 
10 yards past the seat in front of him somehow yeah. in an airplane and it's just brilliant he can just sit there and be funny and do nothing she's like you gonna you want a book he's like nah I'm fine. are you gonna take a nap <laughs> no nah, i'm good <laughs> like, like she's interrupting him he, he's so curt each time you know you're just gonna stare at the back of the seat yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so good. So glad he's back. So in Kramer's apartment, Kramer is basting himself in his hot tub as Newman is sitting there. And did you notice what he's reading? No, I didn't. He's reading the book Alive, which they did turn into a movie. And it's the book based on the, I think, Argentinian soccer team that crashes in the Andes and ended up having to resort to cannibalism. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> it's been it's, that's good that that's yeah. really good it's come up on the show a couple times before um the concept of alive i don't remember just how but um maybe just the v- vhs cover or something like that but yeah in this instance it's really a cannibalism joke um and he even like adds some butter to the hot tub and like stirs it in with a lacrosse stick oh my god <laughs> yeah okay so i wanted to like I wanted to gauge your opinion on this. Uh, question number one I have for you. Do you think Kramer is wearing shorts or underwear in this in his hot tub? Because we don't see. We don't. And the only reason I would say yes is because he was wearing shorts on the roof. So he didn't get cooked. Mm. His, uh, okay. yeah, his pecker didn't get cooked. <laughs> God damn it. Okay. Well, well then I, I guess that dispels like any thoughts I have about the rest of my questions. Because if he were... Uh, not wearing shorts or underwear. Yeah. There's a part of Newman stirring the water around. He definitely gooses Kramer at one <laughs> yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. Because he goes right between his legs and Kramer like perks up. He's like, ooh. Then maybe um, maybe he wasn't. I mean, I, I'm, that's just my, that's that, just the that's way I I'm, would play it if I was, you know, a guy in a hot tub <laughs> with another guy in the room. That, that's, that's what I'm thinking. But yeah. then at that point, uh, Newman starts like sweating after he gooses Kramer. And <laughs> obviously... Obviously, it's like to play off Newman wants to eat Kramer. Yes. But I'm getting real bi-curious Newman <laughs> vibes from this. Yeah. They've been friends for a long time. I mean, they're, you know, <laughs> you never know. Something might have happened or something wants know. it to happen. Yeah. <laughs> but Newman does run out when his hunger, for whatever, overtakes him. Over at Play Now, the boss who hired George notices that George is limping on his other leg, and George tries to lie his way out of it, saying, oh, no, it was because we were, you know, standing on opposite sides, and he brings him over the mirror, and he goes, see, now, this looks right, and he, the boss is like, no, no, I see what's going on here, and the scene cuts, because we're thinking that George has been caught in his web of lies. But over in Jerry's apartment, Jerry is walking by his front door, and he hears a beep from outside the door and when he opens I thought it this, yeah. yeah I thought this was his buzzer at first yeah, yeah. but I'm like it sounded like his buzzer uh, but then when it just happens repeatedly yeah me 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 yeah uh, and jo- he opens the door and George rolls in on his own rascal scooter and here you, you say the relish joke was bad I, I guess it's worse only because that was barely a joke but George is like you're never gonna believe what happened and Jerry goes you mugged Stephen Hawking Stephen Hawking didn't even drive a rascal you fucking idiot I'm, I'm certain he wasn't Doing it in 1997, I think he's always been in the kind of wheelchair that he's in. Yeah, in in the motorized chair. Yeah, yeah. That's just a, a that's just a joke on behalf of a disabled person. Like, <sighs> I mean, it's not even. You're, you're totally right. I mean, pick an old person at least. Like, yeah. I, I don't even know who's famous for driving around in a rascal. Um, but I don't know who I'd pick for that joke. I probably just wouldn't make it. Uh, but no, Play Now got him his own rascal. 
But this, I thought, was one of the best jokes in the, in the whole episode. Jerry says, so now you're going straight to hell at no more than three miles per hour. <laughs> that was so good. Yeah. Uh, Elaine calls from the plane, and she's super angry. How? The, the, How is she calling from the plane? The plane phone. Are there plane phones? I think this has this come point? up before, but yeah, there were these phones that were on the back. I know we talked about car phones before, but I don't know if we ever talked about plane phones. I feel like it might have come up only because, you know, we've had a lot of airport uh, and airplane episodes. But so on the back of a chair, there was a phone that you stuck your credit card in and then it would it would dislodge the phone. That would that would dislodge the phone and huh. Then you could make a call. Oh, I remember the um the guys who were calling from uh, the Houston Astros guys who were calling George from the plane. You tell that oh. son of a bitch that no, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that must have been. That's one instance where it came okay. up. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you put the credit card in and then the phone would dislodge and it would have, you know, they, they would just charge your card like some exorbitant amount uh, to <laughs> oh, make a sure. to make a call while the plane was in flight. And so that's what Elaine is doing. What the, what that would cost on an international flight, I have no idea. Uh, yeah, over the actual ocean. Yeah. We, we did get Vegetable Lasagna's name here. His name is Magnus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, my name is Magnus. She's like, because uh, he yells something and Jerry's like, who's that? She's like, that's just Vegetable Lasagna. I really feel like the Elaine storyline, as great as it is and, and as nice as it is to have Putty back, we didn't need this call. We did, Like, all he says is, Oh, give me some duty-free Kahlua, and then hangs up. And hangs up. Yeah. yeah. This was real dumb. It's the only thing connecting her to the rest of the episode, and I feel it like it goes all the way back to that Seinfeld episode where, like, Jason Alexander wasn't in it, and he was like, if you don't want me in the show, I got better stuff to do, and was going to walk, and they were like, fine, everybody's in every episode from now on, God. Yeah. And I feel like that's why. But also, I wonder, because the, the end of the episode, she doesn't, but throughout the a lot of this episode, I'm like, was she pregnant still when they shot this episode? And they were like, all right, we'll film the last bit right before, you know, right before the episode airs. Like, and we only need one more little bit with these three actors. So maybe we'll, because uh, she's all covered up throughout the whole episode. Her stomach never shows at all until mm-hmm. the very end. So I'm wondering, too, if she was pregnant uh, during this time. I wonder if we'll find out. Then Jerry tells George that he is going to take a dive at the comedy show just to see how well Banya does, uh, if he can still kill. And George, I found it interesting here. He says, Banya. He says, yeah, Banya is the voice of a new generation, my generation. And Jerry goes, we're four months apart. And he's like, still, <laughs> his time has come. So George is sticking up for Banya and uh, or Banya, as it were. And he gets his rascal wheel lodged under Jerry's table. He's like, now, if you'll dislodge my wheel, I'll be on my way. And he gives he gives I love the little beep that he gives and Jerry ignores him. And then he gives another beep and his look coincides with the beep which i love <laughs> so we cut to monks newman is at the counter waiting for kramer he mentions to him uh, you know i'll meet you at the coffee shop uh, and he's just staring off going butter kramer butter <laughs> and the waitress brings out this giant turkey a full cooked turkey yeah, full cooked turkey like on a platter <laughs> yeah with a, at a diner yeah. would you eat a diner turkey like this I I probably wouldn't. I was thinking like, yeah, n- probably not. But I was like, for sure, they probably have like turkey and gravy on the menu and deli sliced turkey sandwiches. But I'm like, do they really cook a full turkey for for those menu items? <laughs> like every day, a giant like thirty pound turkey, and then they bring it out onto the counter the to car. carve because because <laughs> we we see the waitress like sharpening the knife. Yeah. Hey, everybody! Time for the daily turkey carving at monks everybody gather around <laughs> fresh turkey <laughs> uh, 
But we this is this is an iconic Seinfeld moment where Newman hallucinates Kramer's face on the cooked turkey and even gives a little hey buddy and he, the wing even moves a little bit <laughs> and uh, and Newman runs off. But this is just one of those Seinfeld uh, images that is implanted in the brain of everybody. Hey buddy, uh, over at Catch a Rising Star, Kramer confronts Jerry about throwing his set, and Jerry says, "That's right, Chuchi." Yeah. <laughs> what did that mean? I'm- I have no idea. I, yeah, I have no idea what he... That seemed like something Kramer would say to Jerry. That's right, Chuchi. <laughs> I, I have no idea. And he throws off his blazer as he goes on stage, revealing rainbow suspenders. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I find funny when I... Because when I, when I found out that Robin Williams started in at Catch a Rising Star, like, that was kind of his thing. But it does look funny. It does look... You know, but that was probably, like, in the 70s, you know? And so now, in 97, for sure, it was definitely, as it's called later, hack. Uh, kind of hacky. And he runs out, and his first bit is, what's the deal with lampshades? If it's a lamp, why would you want to shade it? Uh, and Kramer plants himself in the audience and starts, like, really, uh, you know, cracking up at Jerry's jokes. And he's like, and what's the deal with people getting sick? I mean, what's the deal with cancer? And then someone from the back yells... I have cancer. And <laughs> I, I can't remember what Jerry did here. I don't know if he like he he does like the oh yeah yeah. I don't know if he did it with his <laughs> collar or with the suspenders. I think it may have been with the suspenders. <laughs> yeah. Uh, meanwhile, George rolls by a cafe and bumps a rascal that is parked out front, and the <laughs> owner, a, a very elderly old man, and some other people come out and start stepping to George. And uh, George's line I always loved here when he's like, what do you got, the uh, four vote? I did you a favor. <laughs> and when the guy steps to him, George flees. And I, I love the woman's line, get the bikes! God damn it. <laughs> so back at Catch a Rising Star, Jerry has bombed. Uh, he even has, like, flop sweat. So even when he means to bomb, it's still tough on Jerry being out there under the lights and, and taking a dive. Uh, Kramer tries to cheer him up. He's like, that, that cancer thing? It, it was really edgy, not my thing, but people liked it. What about that guy that yelled? And Jerry's like, he has cancer. <laughs> Newman barges in, and Kramer calls. He's like, you know, we could have used your laughs out there. Jerry was a turkey. And Newman goes, a turkey? He's like, yeah, a big, fat turkey. And Newman's <laughs> like, I'm sorry, I missed that. And then, New- <laughs> and then Kramer covers himself in oregano and parmesan through a series of flailing abouts. Uh, how about Wait, I b- b- bumps into two different containers, <laughs> like one one over the stove and one that a waiter in a chef's hat, nonetheless, yeah. is just carrying a big old bowl of Parmesan. And I know that, I mean, we're reaching the end of the episode here. We didn't have time for anything, but how would that happen to you? And you'd have absolutely no reaction, but you just keep walking through the kitchen like, oh, well, like you wouldn't go, oh, man, buddy, what are you doing? You know, like you wouldn't yell at the guy who did it or the, the guy has no reaction to being like just to what what he was carrying, this giant bowl of Parmesan cheese being thrown up. He just like ducks out of the shot, picks up the bowl and and, and walks out of frame. You know, it's like, this is this is literally the two people precariously moving a single pane of glass over <laughs> across a busy street yeah and then when it happens they're like oh well <laughs> our job's done if it was meant to be it was meant to be <laughs> you know i guess these people don't get a new glass window <laughs> i guess i'll go dump another bag of parmesan cheese into this bowl <laughs> it's a living <laughs> happens all the time don't worry about it folks and and so newman gets him to hold some parsley and then attacks him and jerry looks on as kenny goes on and starts bombing 
uh, talking about the sweet stench of failure. So it did work, but Jerry and uh, Kramer and Newman, uh, you know, wrestle past him, presumably onto the stage area. Out on the street, a rascal chase is ensuing, and I love how people are just walking casually by. Like, no one's in a hurry, but they're just walking at normal speed. Yeah. And they're, like, blowing past all the rascals. (laughs) (laughs) And George's battery starts to die, at which point he picks up his rascal and starts running Uh, with it. Yeah. Yeah, he says, like, uh, something like... (laughs) Damn two-hour battery. What what use is a two-hour battery yeah. in a rascal? If this is someone's, like, main method of transportation, like, in place of walking, wh- what are you going to do with a two-hour battery, especially in New York? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's going to be tough to get anywhere. You're going to have to stop and charge all the time. God but he, damn. But he, as he's running, holding the rascal, his boss <laughs> from Play Now exits a storefront and says, George, and he's like... George tries to think of something to get out of. He's like, are you a religious man? And the boss goes, no, and walks off. (laughs) And it's at that point that the old man catches up with George and tells him to eat hickory as he uh, uh, comes at him with the cane. Which is great. Yeah. Eat hickory. (laughs) Eat hickory. (laughs) Uh, Back over at Catch a Rising Star, Jerry is enjoying some champagne at the bar. And Banya enters, defeated. But Jerry, of course, is delighted at both of their failures. Uh, presumably, but two NBC executives come in, one of whom is Chris Parnell. Yeah, yeah, we get a, a young Chris Parnell playing, I, I'm guessing he's playing Stu Crespi, because the other guy's name is Jay Shermack. Yeah, yeah. Who He's the one who introduces them. Yeah, and uh, I didn't recognize Jay, but I de- you know, definitely recognize Stu as, as the great Chris Parnell. I'll have to write that down for uh, next week, see where, see where he was in his career, because this was definitely had to have been an acting job he had to have been years from snl at this point that's my guess but they loved they thought banya was really funny they especially loved the thing with two guys running through wrestling each other (laughs) which was kramer and newman and as chris parnell says i love stuff you don't have to think about (laughs) (laughs) and so they say they want to be in the kenny banya business and before they leave chris parnell tells jerry seinfeld oh uh jerry the suspenders a little hacky wasn't we want to be in the Kenny Banya business? Wasn't that the same line that the execs told Jerry whenever they approached him about the pilot? It was like, we want to be in the Jerry Seinfeld business. I think so, yeah. I, I think it's exact. So that's that, that definitely plays into Banya <laughs> riding Jerry's coattails. Yeah. And if Jerry's stand-up was hacky and his suspenders were, why didn't these guys love it too? You know? Like, they should have loved Jerry's bit and gone like, oh, we want to make a whole, yeah, a whole sitcom around this character that wears hilarious suspenders and tells these hilarious jokes about, like, why do you want to shade a lamp? Good point. Like, they really should have liked Jerry's material, but maybe Banny was, yeah. Maybe this is just a meta argument about how fickle people can be. Yeah, yeah. And so... Banya points out, hey, you had a pilot, now I'm getting a pilot. Looks like I'm following you again. And Jerry says, oh, I'm going to puke. Which, by the way, is a line that he said earlier when he found out George was a Banya fan. Oh, I'm going to puke. And just like George said at that point, Kenny says, puke, that's a funny word. Can I use that? (sighs) (laughs) And that's the end of the episode proper. We do get a title card that says, in memory of Brandon Tartikoff, which I did a little pre-homework on. Figured, why not do it now rather than later? As if this episode wasn't long enough. Yeah. <laughs> I could probably... Should I just save it for next week and cut this part? Let's uh, save it. You want to save it? Okay. Okay, we'll yeah, save it. Yeah, S- save it, but we'll give it, like, the brief rundown next week. Yeah. Brandon Tartikoff. All right. Then the epilogue. So it was weird that we got... You know, normally I would feel like this in-memory thing would come after 
everything, but one little last little epilogue, Elaine and Putty are leaving the airport, they have to share a cab, and it's Elaine sharing a cab, as it turns out, with Putty and vegetable lasagna. Because yeah, there's a cab shortage yeah. for some reason. Hey, I, lady, I don't know what a, a cab, cab shortage. shortage. <laughs> I... Before they get in the cab, though, I did love the back and forth between her and Putty. Because Putty says, like, if I don't ever see you again, it'll be too soon. Yeah. Then Elaine, in a drawn-out way, says uh, something. But Putty cuts her off and just says, go to hell. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah, very Putty. Like, always, go to hell. <laughs> just simple. Go, go to hell. <laughs> yeah, and that's the end of the episode. All right, so what do we got for homework this week? Um, I There's a couple stuff I brushed over, like Morning Train, and one other thing that I kind of knew a little bit about that if I if I do end up listening to this episode, I might do a little bit of extra credit on, but I didn't write it down. But what I did write down was Chris Parnell, where was he in his relationship, uh, or relationship, career, where was he in his career at this point? And Brandon Tartikoff, why was this memory, why was this episode in memory of Brandon Tartikoff? All right. What do you like for cover art this week? I mean, it's tough to beat Kramer as the turkey. I mean, it's just so iconic, you know? Yeah, I was thinking, I'm like, it, it, it's got to be that, right? Uh, other than that, I was thinking I really liked George in The Rascal, like with his front tire stuck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's it's got to be Kramer as a turkey. Yeah, no, there's no other option. All right. So let's see what we can do about this week's description. Okay. <laughs> So we had, George gets a new job after he's mistaken for being handicapped, while Jerry suspects Banya is taking advantage of him, period. Kramer's latest shaving technique backfires as Elaine breaks up with her boyfriend during a transatlantic flight. I like the first part. I don't know how much of it I would, I would change. We might be able to just shorten George's. Like, George, what's the what's the George part? Let's just, let's just start there. Uh, George gets a new job after he's mistaken for being handicapped. Mm. I like that. Because yeah. it, it happens right away, too. Yep, yep. That's fine. Okay, he, hear me out. Here's my uh, here's my thing that you may not totally agree with. Cut it in half. The whole second half, get rid of it. Yeah. Kramer and Elaine. I'm fine with that. No, I, I like okay. that. Wow. Yeah. Hell yeah. Okay, yeah, because I mean, the episode's already titled The Butter Shave. Yeah. And I also hate that it backfires. I mean, I, I guess that's a good word for what, it, what happens. Like, it backfires because his friend wants to eat him. Like, uh... <laughs> Is that really? I would, if I was going to to mess with that one, I would say Kramer's new shaving technique has unintended consequences. Yeah, backfires You'll, doesn't work, you know. Yeah, I, I think the only way we could make this worse is by saying like uh, something with the gang or literally just including hijinks ensue. Yeah, yeah. But can I tell but you? No, I, I noticed. Go, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say about the gang because I just saw a good descriptor. It was like Jerry and his friends or something like that. I was like, why didn't I ever say that? Like Jerry and his friends, blah, blah, blah. That That's a great... I, I'm going to start saying that instead of the gang when I need to include all four people. <laughs> I forget where I saw that. I feel like it was on Google TV somewhere, but... Um, Maybe. Yeah. It, here, here's the only thing I would say against that, though, is are they friends? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, the only reason I say that is because this is from Google TV. Their, uh, their baseline for the whole series. Here's their descriptor for the whole series. A stand-up comedian and his three offbeat friends weather the pitfalls <laughs> and payoffs of life in New York City in the 90s, which is, wow, pretty, okay. which is pretty perfect. It's a pretty great little one-sentence descriptor for Seinfeld. 
But yeah, but they yeah. mentioned friends, and I think that's where I saw it. I was like, Jerry and his friends. Yeah, stand-up comedian and his friends. But yeah, you're right. I mean, we've debated. Like, if they're <laughs> friends, they're the worst friends, like, you could have. Because, yeah, absolutely. You know, like, what Jerry does in this episode is a great, like, not that Banya's his friend, but Jerry's willing to sabotage his career in order to make sure that another guy doesn't have success. Yeah. <laughs> that he already blew. <laughs> You know, I mean, that would be the ultimate. I, I don't remember what happens with Banya's pilot deal or whatever, but that would be the ultimate, you know, um, just the worst thing that could happen to oh Jerry is God, if Banya's yeah. sitcom I, was a success. If there's one thing I can hope for with season nine is that Banya's <laughs> pilot gets picked up to an incredibly successful series. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't remember that happening, and I don't know what happens with this storyline, but yeah, I mean, that. so I could see, you know, Jerry's thinking down the road, and he's like, you know what, I, I, in order for this chess game not to end the way that I think it might, I have to lay down my king right now, and just, just, just <laughs> you know, the whole... The whole thing has to, to be blown up. So, yeah. So, like, Jerry was on the line for another pilot. He was getting another shot. But the fact that Banya was getting his first shot, no. Can't happen. No. Can't happen. No. But he would do the uh, same thing to one of his friends, too. So, okay. So, what do we got, then? George gets a new job after, or a new job after he's mistaken for being handicapped, yeah. while Jerry suspects Banya is taking advantage of him? You just want to yeah. leave it at that? Yeah. I mean, I feel like... We could even make the Jerry one better, but I'm fine with leaving it as it is. <laughs> okay, yeah. I, 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 I like the Jerry one as it is, but yeah. I don't know. Takes advantage of him is where I'm like, yeah, he is, but... I mean, riding his coattails. They, they even say that in the episode. That might be a better one. Yeah, um, why not that? Jerry suspects Banya is riding his coattails. Yeah, all right, cool. Okay, boy, I mean, <laughs> it's definitely better than it was. Yeah, yeah. All right, so, so next week we have got Season 9, Episode 2, The Voice... Original air date, October 2nd, 1997. And if you're looking at TV Guy that night, you are going to see, as Jerry risks losing a girlfriend over a joke, George continues to work despite being asked to leave. Period. Elaine finds breaking up is hard to do, and Kramer hires an assistant. Uh, who wrote that breaking up is hard to do? I mean, that's like an old song. That's like a cliche from the 60s. Yeah. Like, yeah. What was the Kramer one? I was so put off by that, I missed the Kramer one completely. <laughs> well, in in uh, the form of definitely needing to shoehorn everyone in, it's just, and Kramer hires an assistant. Uh, oh my gosh, but I'm so glad that we reiterated that because... This is already setting up to be a great episode. There's four. I don't even know about Elaine's, but there's at least three great storylines in this coming episode mm. that I'm looking okay. forward to. We got a great episode in my memory on the horizon. I, I think a lot of fans are probably thinking the same thing right now. <laughs> um, as far as this episode goes, I, I loved it. I didn't star it, but it was a great season premiere. I, I'm in the exact same boat. Yeah, I, I thought it was a great way to open up the final season. Uh, people know it's the final season at this point, right? I wonder. I don't even know. We'll have to. We'll have to maybe talk about that next week. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. If we could. If we could find that out, yeah. that'd be great. Because if um if people know it's going to be the final season and they're kind of like hitting all their benchmarks, trying to go for like one last hurrah, I think it was great. Yeah. Yeah. It was. I. I and probably the only reason I didn't star it is because it was a because it was the first episode of the season. You know, I'm like, well, I mean, come on. I'm handing out stars right out of the gate here. <laughs> but it continued the the high mark of season eight. You know, it, it began yeah, the, in the same way it ended, still on a on a high. So yeah, um, great great season premiere. And who knows? Maybe later it'll earn that star when I go back to it. And, and I got to say, I I didn't start it too because the episode was too disjointed for me, which is my fault. But this required a lot of pausing and writing. And, yeah, yeah. There was same, a lot of detail. Same. 
Same with me. I think it took me two hours to watch this episode, and uh, fuck, we're two hours into the record. <laughs> yeah, I wish this, I had This has chance. been my whole day. <laughs> I wish I had it. What else are we doing? <laughs> I wish I had a chance to go back and watch it without stopping, because I bet it really yeah. is even better. Maybe it would have even earned that star. We'll see. So, all right. Is that it? Yeah, I think that's it. All right. Thank God. For the hugging, no learning. I'm Tim Murphy. <laughs> I'm Ted Allowell. Be good. Be good.